Good morning, Saints. Sorry I couldn't be with you in person. I, I felt like uh, with last week's sermon that this really needed to follow up. And so because I'm gone, you get me by video. Sorry. Uh, last week we talked about God's justice with regards to our sin. If you remember it, the idea to think that, that God is not going to act, he's not going to judge us, clearly goes against what Scripture says. Uh, we talked about the fact that that scripture tells us that, that the very foundation of God's throne is justice. But we also talked about God's mercy, that Jesus took the punishment that you and I deserved. God's mercy doesn't negate his justice, it fulfills it. If you remember the quote from Martin Luther, so when the devil throws your sins in your face and declares that you deserve death and hell, tell him this, I admit that I deserve death and hell, what of it? For I know one who suffered and made satisfaction on my behalf. His name is Jesus Christ, Son of God, and where he is, there I shall be also. Jesus took the, the, the punishment that you and I deserved and he fulfilled God's justice. We also talked about that when, when God reveals something of his character, that that is a, an opportunity for us to know him in that way. And so God wants to, us to know him in that justice aspect of his character. So with that understanding, with that as a, a foundation, then we're gonna look at a, a, a different aspect, different angle, I guess, of the, the justice part of God's character. So let's pray. Lord, this morning as we come before you. We are inviting you to speak into our lives by your word and by your spirit. We desire to know you more in this justice area of your character. And so, Lord, we're asking that, that you would, would show us, would guide us, would lead us, would speak into us the things that we need to understand. And we trust you to do that because you're faithful. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. See, another aspect of that, that, that justice aspect of God's character is his setting things right. When, when, when things don't go well, we have a tendency to wonder why. But you can see this, this aspect of God's character from the very beginning. You can see it all the way from Genesis to Revelation that ultimately God is going to have his way. He's going to set things right. See, and we struggle with that. When, when things don't go the way that we want them to, our normal response is, why God? What's going on? When, when, when the company that you work for downsizes, when, when the, the stock market tumbles and a third of your retirement investment is gone, when a, when a major illness strikes, when, when one of your children isn't following the Lord the way that you'd like them to, when, when anything goes contrary to what we think it should, we have a tendency to wonder. Why, why didn't God do something? Where is he in the midst of this? It just doesn't seem fair. And there's that innate sense of fairness inside of us. And, and, and I believe that that innate sense that things should be right, should be fair, should be just, should be equitable. I believe that that, that innate sense inside of us is a mark of God on us. And in understanding this, it's important for us to recognize that we can't uh, we, we can't try to interpret God or his actions through our experience in a fallen world. God is just, but that's not just because he, he, he obeys some standard. He himself is the standard. See, 
you and I, we look at a situation and we think that justice needs to be served in that particular situation. And we're basing that on our understanding. Maybe, maybe civic laws, maybe an understanding of our, our legal system, whatever. But God isn't accountable to any law. He himself is the law. He's the standard. So what am I telling you? From our vantage point, our lives here and now in this fallen world don't always seem fair. But the fact is that this life is just a really brief time. Isaiah 30, verse 18, Therefore the Lord waits to be gracious to you, and therefore he exalts himself to show mercy to you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are those who wait for him. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are those who wait for him. We wait for him because he will ultimately bring forth justice. He's going to do it. Isaiah 42.3, a verse that we're all familiar with, a bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. God has promised that he will indeed faithfully bring forth justice. But that justice may not always be in our timing. There are going to be times that we have to wait, as it said. Now, I want to take a look at Jesus' parable in, in Luke 18 because I think this can give us a different perspective on this whole issue. Luke 18, beginning in verse 1. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought to always to pray and not lose heart. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice because my adversary... For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice, so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous, the, the NIV here says unjust, hear what the unrighteous judge, the unjust judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? You know, that last verse has always bothered me. It just seems out of context. What does that even have to do with the rest of the story? But I would suggest that it actually does have to do with the rest of the story. At the last day, when the Son of Man comes, will he find people who are still trusting in a just God. See, having, having frequently seen the injustices of this world, having, having experienced the, the unjust judges of this world, will there still be a people who are trusting in a just God? Will we still have faith in a God who has promised to bring forth justice. When, when life situations turn against us, when, when things don't go the way that we think they should, will we still trust in a God who has promised to be just? See, I get the impression that Jesus is telling us that that, that kind of faith, the faith in a God who, who is just, might be scarce on that last day. 
And because of that, I believe that God is asking us today to, to, to renew our confidence, our trust in that God who has promised to be just. See, his justice ultimately may not always look the way that we want it to, but his justice, his timing, always right. May not be ours, but it's always right. Psalm 27, verses 13 and 14. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. I believe there's somebody here today that you need to let your heart take courage. You need to wait for the Lord. You need to trust that God who is just. And you know, one of the reasons that God sometimes delays his judgment, his justice, is to allow people the opportunity to repent and to turn back to him. 2 Peter 3, 9, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Delayed judgment isn't injustice. It's the mercy of God. Psalm 103, verse 6, The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. Nelson's Bible Dictionary says this, As Lord and Judge, God brings justice to nations and sets things right in behalf of the poor, the oppressed, and the victims of injustice. For the wicked, the unjust, and the oppressor, God as supreme judge of the earth is a dreaded force. But for all who are unjustly treated, God's just action is reason for hope. Indeed, there is reason for hope. We know that God's justice will ultimately prevail. In the big picture, God is going to make things right. He's promised that. Whether, whether that's an immediate judgment or a delayed one, we need to leave that to his wisdom. But we trust that he is just. And, and, and I should point out here that just because God is on the side of justice, just because he is just, that doesn't mean that we should lash out and defend ourselves when we are the, the recipients of unjust treatment. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 18 and following, it says this, Servants, be subject to your masters. Notice that we're talking here about servants. The, the word really is, is, is bond slaves. We could liken it in, in our culture to an employee-employer relationship. Um, we can put it in that context and still not do any damage to what it's saying here. And I think that's honestly a, a, a way to consider this for our lives today. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and the gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure... This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. So, so imagine this scene with me for a moment. You're at work, you're supposed to be working, but for whatever reason you decide to make a personal phone call at a time when you're not supposed to be making a personal phone call. And your supervisor reprimands you for it. See, in that instance, you are being treated justly. You may not like it, but you're being treated justly. 
But let's change the scenario. Suppose you're at work, you're actually doing your job, you're working, you're doing the thing that you're getting paid for, there's a concept, and somebody tells your supervisor that you are making a personal phone call during that time and you get reprimanded for it. See, isn't that the essence of what this is saying right here? For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. J Jesus was led like a lamb to the slaughter. Wrongly accused and convicted, he didn't open his mouth in his own defense. I don't know about you, but I'm convicted by that. I really am. See, we, we say that we want to be more like Jesus. Lord, I want to be more like you. But, but do we honestly, in, in every regard, in this regard here? See, I would suggest that oftentimes we don't want to be like Jesus in this regard. Most of us would rather respond to unfair treatment in bitterness or anger rather than out of love and forgiveness. Romans 12, 19, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Don't avenge yourselves. Think about it. Jesus, he defended other people on a pretty regular basis, honestly. I mean, think about the woman who was caught in adultery. Uh, Jesus was not at all opposed to, to, to going toe-to-toe -to -toe with the, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, when it came to the, the woman who anointed him with oil, when it came to the, the tax collectors, whatever. He was perfectly willing to defend others, but he didn't defend himself. They didn't, they didn't take his life from him. He willingly laid it down. Don't avenge yourself. If you, if you genuinely want justice, then leave it to the one who has promised to ultimately have justice. God has promised that he will balance the scales. He will take care of everything. Now, the truth is that most of us, we don't necessarily take vengeance, but we often think vengeance. Ooh, he's meddling now. See, we can, we can wish that that person fails, that that person struggles, that that person falls, that all of their friends leave them, that they lose their job, whatever. That, that's the, the, the scenarios that are running through our mind, right? I'm telling you this morning, let it go. There is a God who will ultimately have his way. Justice will ultimately be served. He's the one that's going to balance the scales. Psalm 146, beginning in verse 6, it talks about the God who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. He will ultimately balance the scales. It's not our job. Oh, and it may not always be in our timing that he does it, but he will ultimately have 
justice. Now, several years ago, I was, I was coming home from a trip. I was at the airport on a Sunday evening waiting by the baggage carousel for my, my bags to come up. And there's a guy over standing by the wall and I just kind of glanced over at him and our eyes locked and he came over and started talking to me. And he told me that he wasn't from here in St. Louis. His sister lived here and his sister had, I don't remember what the disease was, something pretty devastating. And he, neither he nor she had the money for the medicine that she needed and would I help was what he was asking. Now, those of you that know me well know that I'm pretty skeptical, but this particular night, uh, uh, somehow my compassion overruled the skepticism and I gave him $20 and uh, I prayed with him. Well, fast forward two weeks later, I'm coming back from another trip. I'm there in the airport waiting by the baggage carousel and I see the same guy standing over by the wall. And he catches my eye. He comes over and starts talking to me. And he starts telling me a story, but it's a different story than what he told me two weeks ago. But he's wanting money. And he doesn't remember, clearly he does not remember that I had given him money two weeks before. And I told him that I had given him something before, but that his story had changed. And he started to backpedal, but both of us knew that he was lying to me. I did call airport security to keep other people from getting in trouble there, but I felt violated. I, I, I wanted my $20 back. I wanted justice to be served. It wasn't right. But ultimately, it's in God's hands. I can't do it. He's the one that will ultimately balance the scales. And something that we, that we need to recognize in this whole thing is that God's attributes are not independent of one another. See, they interplay off of one another. And in the context that we're talking about here, the sovereignty of God assures that his justice will ultimately be accomplished. Think about this. There was a couple in the Old Testament who uh, built a room for the prophet Elisha so he'd have a place to stay when he was going through there. And they didn't have a child, but they wanted a child. And Elisha prophesied, assured them that they were going to have a child. And about a year later, their son was born. But sometime later, that son became ill all of a sudden. 2 Kings chapter 4, beginning in verse 18. When the child had grown, he went out one day to his father among the reapers. And he said to his father, oh, my head, my head. The father said to his servant, carry him to his mother. And when he had lifted him and brought him to his mother, the child sat on her lap till noon. And then he died. What a, what a devastating experience. So the woman, probably panic-stricken, called for Elisha. Several verses on down, verse 32 and following. When Elisha came into the house, he saw the child lying dead on his bed. So he went in and shut the door behind the two of them and prayed to the Lord. Then he went up and lay on the child, putting his mouth on his mouth, his eyes on his eyes, and his hands on his hands. And as he stretched himself upon him, the flesh of the child became warm. Then he got up again and walked once back and forth in the house and went up and stretched himself upon him. The child sneezed seven times and the child opened his eyes. Then he summoned Gehazi, that is Elisha's servant, and he said, call the Shunammite, that is uh, the, the woman. So he called her 
And when she came to him, he said, pick up your son. She came and fell at his feet, bowing to the ground. Then she picked up her son and went out. So fast forward, sometime later, Elisha tells this woman there's going to be a, a famine in Israel and she needs to go someplace else. And so she goes to the land of the Philistines for seven years and then comes back. But her, at that point, her, her home and her property has been taken over by somebody else. So go forward to 2 Kings chapter 8, beginning in verse 3. And at the end of the seven years, when the woman returned from the land of the Philistines, she went to appeal to the king for her house and her land. Now the king was talking with Gehazi, the servant of the man of God, saying, Tell me all the great things that Elisha has done. And while he was telling the king how Elisha had restored the dead to life, behold, the woman whose son he had restored to life appealed to the king for her house and her land. And Gehazi said, my lord, O king, here is the woman and here is her son whom Elisha restored to life. And when the king asked the woman, she told him. So the king appointed an official for her, saying, Restore all that was hers, together with all the produce of the fields, from the day that she left the land until now. So is that like kind of coincidental? I'm pretty sure that God's hand was in that. He was seeing that justice was served. So again, the, the, the sovereignty of God is going to assure that his justice ultimately is served. God's, God's attributes aren't independent of one another. Think about this. Prisons in the first century were not like they are today. Barb and I got to, to preview the, the new movie. It's coming out later this month. Uh, Paul, Apostle of Christ. Uh, really good movie. I'd highly recommend that you see it. Uh, you don't have to go to the theater. I'm not recommending that. You, I mean, if you want to, that's fine. But see it at some point when it comes out on, on DVD or whatever. But it depicts Paul and it really showed something that I, I recognize, but it, it showed it well that prison conditions were not really very good. I mean, compared to today, they were awful. And they could detain you as long as they wanted to with no real reason. So picture Paul, he is in prison for quite an extended period of time in pretty ghastly situation. How does, how does Paul hang on in the midst of that? I would suggest that it's because he recognizes that there is a God who will ultimately bring forth justice. Oh, it may not be in the timing that he wants, it may not even be in the way that he wants, but ultimately, God is going to have his way. Justice will be served. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, beginning in verse 5, it says this, This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God, for which you are also suffering. Since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you, and to grant relief to you who are afflicted, as well as to us. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. When he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints, to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. 
Yes, indeed, the, the way of the wicked will ultimately come to ruin. It's going to happen. God's justice will be served. Now, if you remember, when we first introduced this whole idea of talking about the attributes of God, one of the things that we said was that we we're going to be looking at and encouraging the gifts that are in you. So you might be wondering, what does all this justice stuff have to do with me and my gifts? Well, think about it. If God is indeed a God of justice, if it's part of his character, part of his nature, if you will, then if we're made in his image, then it's also a part of us. Now, clearly, we don't, we don't have that, that justice aspect to the same level that God does, all right? But we still have it. Now, different people may have different measure of it. We're all different. We know that. Uh, every one of us is, is slightly different than, than others. So some people might have a, a large measure. You really sense that, that inside of you. Others, it might be important, but not as, as important. But the truth is that all of us, through God's word, are being pushed in that direction. See, standing up for the oppressed, those that are downtrodden, is, is something that scripture talks about over and over. James 1.27, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. You, I mean, you, that's just one place, but you see this idea again and again and again throughout the word of God. It's a part of God's nature and therefore it's a part of us. You, you might be familiar with the name Bishop Desmond Tutu. He was a, an Anglican priest who was the, the, the single biggest human agent in uh, getting rid of apartheid in South Africa. He said this, there's nothing more radical, nothing more revolutionary, nothing more subversive against injustice and oppression than the Bible. If you wanna keep people subjugated, the last thing you place in their hands is a Bible. And he is right. Bishop Tutu was convinced that the unequal treatment of blacks in his country was wrong, but it was because of his Christian convictions, because he knew what the scriptures said about that kind of idea. Tutu said this, despite all of the ghastliness in the world, human beings are made for goodness. The ones that are held in high regard are not militarily powerful, nor even economically prosperous. They have a commitment to try and make the world a better place. Wow, what a great statement. And he's right. Think about it. Dr. Martin Luther King in our country, same kind of thing. He stood up against those who were oppressors. He stood up for those who were being oppressed because of his Christian convictions, because he knew what the Bible said. He was pushed in that direction. You know, I, I thought it was interesting just this last month that on Martin Luther King Day that the, the uh, Freedom From Religion Foundation was all upset because at a Martin Luther King uh, uh, memorial kind of day celebration that people actually had the audacity to read from the Bible and to pray. Well, I would hope so because those were the things that drove Dr. Martin Luther King to do the things that he did. It wasn't because he was just a nice guy. No, he was compelled because of what Scripture said. Same thing that, that Bishop Tutu uh, did in South Africa. Our Christian convictions compel us to step in and help 
where we can. We want to do what is right. We, we want to because the Bible tells us to. We want to do what is in alignment with God's character. You know, as I travel, I've encountered two different types of churches who focus almost exclusively on one aspect of God's justice. Either they see God as the judge of the world and therefore they focus exclusively on evangelism, helping to rescue the lost, or they see the what, what, what a lot of people call social justice aspect, where uh, God wants to help the oppressed, so that they, they feed the hungry, they, they clothe the naked, they help those who are in need. And my experience has been that those two different types of churches have a tendency to look down on one another. See, they think that they are the ones who are really fulfilling what God wants them to do. What a sad picture that is. Both of those aspects are vital for the church. See, from a, from a biblical perspective, social justice is not something that the government can ultimately do. Now, don't misunderstand. I'm not saying that all government programs are bad. But I am saying that the, the church, not the government, is uniquely qualified to deal with the whole person, the full scope of issues that people deal with. The government can't deal with the spiritual aspect. The government usually won't deal with the emotional aspect. All they can do realistically is throw more money at the situation. That's why there are, are countless women today who continually get pregnant to have more babies so that their social assistance from the government will be more and more. That is ultimately not going to help that person. It is not. But, but the church, the, the church can deal with the whole person, physical, emotional, spiritual, the whole gamut, all of it. So, so practically speaking, maybe God is pushing you toward being more involved in some way in bringing forth justice here on earth, if you will. You know, Barb and I have a, uh, have a dear friend who does presentations all across the, the state of Iowa about human trafficking. She helps give young people especially tools that will keep them from becoming victims. There was a time that she would just as soon lost her arm as to stand in front of a group of people and give a presentation like she's doing. And her job, honestly, is not without risks. Her boss has had her life threatened because there are people who don't want, especially young people, to know the things that she's teaching them. And, and, and even beyond that, she has three young kids at home. She doesn't want anything to happen to them. She, she doesn't want anything to happen to herself. But, but she has seen the character of God and she is compelled through what's, because of what Scripture says to go out there and help right the wrong, to change that situation. You know, maybe, maybe you need to volunteer at a crisis pregnancy center. Maybe God's calling you to get more involved in the political arena to help stem the tide of of evil that we see so prevalent in our culture. I don't know what it is, but I'm guessing that maybe there's something that's gripping your heart today. And then this whole aspect of, of justice that God wants to bring forth. 
And if there is an aspect of that justice that, that you believe God wants you involved in, we want to help. The, the leadership here, even your brothers and sisters in Christ, want to, want to see you come into the fullness of what God is asking you. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful that you are pulling us more and more toward yourself and letting us see new areas that perhaps we haven't recognized in the past to understand you better and therefore to understand us better as a result. Lord, if there are things that we need to walk out in our lives, would you make those clear to us so that we will completely and fully do the things that you want us to do. We, 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 want to, we want to demonstrate your character to the world. And if for us that means an aspect of your justice, Lord, would you make that clear and give us the, the strength to do it. Lord, we thank you that you are at work within each one of us to ultimately bring forth your justice. You're a good father, and we praise you. Amen. Amen.